I'm Amy, your host of Mother Lessons. I'm a postpartum doula supporting women through the transition into motherhood and after through emotional and physical support. Mothers need other mothers and through this podcast we can connect and support each other. Mother Lessons was inspired by the word matrescence. The word was coined in the 70s by anthropologist Dana Raphael. It is the transition period of becoming a mother, similar to a child becoming a teenager through adolescence. Our hormones go wild, our hair and skin change. We learn a whole new dynamic to our bodies and our relationships around us. This podcast is for mothers and mothers-to-be. It's here to support mothers in this massive transition and identity shift, which can happen over many years. We will explore all things mothering ourselves and our children, because mothering ourselves is the first step. recording. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to introduce to you, I want to introduce Jack Cryer. She is a mother of three children and four grandchildren and currently lives with her husband and younger child in Sussex, England. She's a holistic baby and childcare practitioner and she has studied and worked for many years with the theories of Rudolf Steiner and Emmy Pickler. Her approach towards children is natural and positive and she believes they benefit from simple living, kind and authoritative role modeling, and the space to initiate their own play. She's an experienced singer and choir leader, and for the last eight years, she's enjoyed singing um, with a trio called The Kites. Her inspirations for the work she does are mindfulness, nature, and seasonal celebrations. Rudolf Steiner's understanding of child development and the phases of childhood, Emmy Pickler's approach to the infant and child self-directed movement play, and her simple guidelines on the respectful care of infants and young children. So intuitive and yet counterculture. And her experiences of being a parent, grandparent, daughter, sister, wife, colleague, and friend. She supported the beginning of my mothering journey through going to her parent and baby group and the Steiner School and introduced me to the world of any Pickler and respectful care, which I found very super helpful, um, influence to, myself as a newborn mother and my newborn juniper at the time so welcome jack it's so thank nice you to very have you much here. it's so nice to be nice here. to see you in this yeah see you I in know. the zoom room instead of in real life <laughs> yes exactly i know it's very exciting to think you're all the way over there i know so yeah. when were you introduced to um steiner's work and and how did it influence your mothering at the time? I don't actually know when, when you found out about Rudolf Steiner's work. Was it early uh, in the days? Pr- pr- yeah, pretty early on. Um, I think uh, I had my first child at 22 and um, I quickly got involved with La Leche League, the um, lactation specialists. And very much, I mean, that, that, that's quite a clinical term for what is it, what my experience was, which was very warm group of mothers, holistically minded and um, very um, sympathetic towards their, their child, you know, and to the children within the group. Um, that, that makes it, it was very child centered. Mm-hmm. And um, so that kind of naturally led on to, um, you know, once <clears throat> breastfeeding was established and, um, you know, we were on a roll. I began to look at introducing new foods, all the kind of next stages. And within that comes education. 
um, you know, we, we were thinking and talking and, and some of the women had older children anyway, so they were already on that journey. And the couple of really good close friends that I made in there, um, one of them was going, their, their older child was going to get, uh, the Kings Langley Rudolph Steiner School um, in a parent and child situation. And um, so we started, I, so I suppose my daughter was 18 months, no older than that. Um, so very early on. And we, and I, yeah, we started a little home group because the, the Steiner school was quite away from where we were, even though, so she was taking a whole day to go out for her parent child group. Meanwhile, we, on another day, had a little um, group at home, just the two of us and our three children. And we did bits of baking and singing and um, lots and lots of playing. Um, my, my friend, as of then, ended up being a, you know, super duper kindergarten teacher and she really kind of flew with it. And um, as I guess did I, really, we, we both got kind of stuck in professionally eventually. Um, but not mm. before we'd had a great big immersion as parents. And um, yeah, so... So I think from then on, really, it was just a slow feeling my way into it, taking each um, step as it came. We went to a parent and child group and then the next step was to go into kindergarten. Mm, should we do that? You know, is that feeling good? We'd done a bit of reading by then. Um, and so we went into the kindergarten for three or four years. And then then it was the next step. Should we should we go into class one? You know, the, the trajectory for my subsequent child was much um easier and more fluid because we'd already laid the, you know we'd already plowed the, the track as it were i find it really um inspiring that you and your friends started a group by yourselves mm. in your homes mm. and just mm. two of you it just sort of mm. shows that you can create your village just from one other person and one Absolutely. other child Absolutely. and i think you know when people talk about creating your own village and having all that support it can be so overwhelming mm. thinking even if you know i'm quite introverted and when people say the village is the most important which i know it is as a mother you need your village but i get very anxious about that and i think okay how am i going to create my village i love my own time and all this mm. stuff mm. but actually you can just do it in your own way and i think Absolutely. the way you just described it by just mm. inviting a friend every mm. week Mm -hmm. having activities one person mm -hmm. can lead and the other you know it's just so inspiring I've never really yeah. thought about that so simple <laughs> well I guess um you know in you describing how how that might make you feel the idea of of you know potentially having to be more extrovert I think we can reflect on how that might feel for a child you know going mm. into a great big social situation um however that's engineered or or whatever um, whether it's you being invited in or you sort of creating something. You know, if I reflect on those three little children, you know, one of them being my daughter at, at those times, you know, that felt really appropriate. That felt really held, secure, comfortable. We, you know, the two mothers were very um, happy in each other's company. And um, so, yeah, I think that's really worth looking at. And you know, as we go on with the conversation or, you know, as I go on in my practice, I realise that, the, you know, a central tenant is really um, slowness and simplicity. How did you find then the shift, the identity shift of becoming a mother? Like you seemed like you really got yourself set up pretty quickly with a village and, a, you know, a support network. How did you yeah. feel? I think I did. I, I think 
in some ways that was really aided by just being in my early 20s. I hadn't, I came to puberty quite late, you know, um, by cultural standards, it was probably 16 or 17. So it wasn't long after that, that I then found, you know, my first long time partner. And, um, you know, we decided to, to have um, our daughter. And I was much younger than he is. And um, so, so I think it, you know, that, that felt like a very, that was a very cognitive step for him. Whereas for me, it was a much more instinctive thing to be doing. So I think I was very, very kind of bodily driven. Mm. Um, still, still am, but you know, there's much more, much more reflection and things going on now. Whereas then it, it was almost like I, I really welcomed it. Um, I found a purpose. I found my mm. purpose. And so, yeah, I, I really look back on those early sort of months and years with great fondness. And like, I, I really, and I, I see that reflected in your relationship with Juniper, like my little pal, you know, I really had a little pal and um, I found the whole relationship, um, you know, to sum it up, because of course it's very nuanced, isn't it? There are plenty of days when you don't feel like this, but, you know, but very charmed. You know, mm. I felt very um, in awe of this little being and, um, and how, I, how I could best um, care and nourish her. Yeah. Mm, that seems yeah. so um, mature at 22. I just can't imagine that. <laughs> I was in a completely different place in my life yeah. at 22. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really aware of that, you know, that we all are, um, you know, different parts of us are developed at different times. And I think that that was quite strong from, from my teens, really. Yeah. Mm. So what do you think the, the, like the essence of a role of a mother is? What do you, have you ever thought about that? Um, I think it changes over the years with your, you know, with a single child as they develop. Um, I think, uh, it's a very deep question and I think it could apply to, to parents per se, um, that we are, invested in the connection in the relationship i think i think that's that's crucial and um that we are present for our children we are that person i mean we are we are so many different things for our children um you know we're a stable stable base we're security we are um cheerleaders we are um uh you know healers and um nourishers and teachers and yeah all, all manner of things but i think it it is about it is about connection mm. yeah definitely. yeah Be, being an advocate for your child and um and holding that relationship mm. oh that's that's actually such a good point isn't it because it's when I don't know when they're sort of tantruming or doing things that you'd rather them not um, yeah. connection I think is number number one really in that moment yeah. because yeah. it's really easy to just be like oh I just need to finish doing this or whatever it is and yeah. just sort of yeah. resisting that tantrum or tears or yeah. things but actually if you think okay 
I advocate for this person. She's doing her best right now. She's struggling or whatever yeah. it is. And just yeah. trusting in her higher sort of yeah. essence then and, yeah. and, and prioritizing connection. It really changes and shifts things. Yeah. And, and also being, just being gently aware as the, the lead dance partner, if you like, in this mm. dance um, of, of how many steps that your junior partner has learned you know what stage of development that they're at what what is um what is the best that they can be doing at this time um i think that really helps a lot i think all the way along if we can um gently shift our shift our attitude sometimes to things um i i've i've used that a lot in conversation with parents and with myself in my own parenting journey um it just kind of concluded or, or resolved that um, just in looking at the situation differently myself. So, so I'm not actually physically doing or saying anything to affect the situation. I'm just considering it in a different way from a different angle. A, it changes my whole body. Mm. So I can then just drop down into my body and be present for that person. But, but, on reflection, it actually does change it because, because that has happened. You yes. know, the more I would resist something, um, the harder, you know, the harder it would um, sound and, you know, the, the louder the volume of it. If I, if I open myself to it, I soften myself to it and I'm present for it, it often actually affects the situation in itself. Just, just that simple act of changing mm. attitude. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So just whilst we're on the subject, I wasn't going to talk about this, but have you got any sort of views on tantrums? And I mean, you, you've kind of covered it by being really present and changing yeah. your body and stuff. But yeah. do you have like a view from your part, from your education and, and experience on tantrums and, yeah. and the best way to support them? Um, I think it's um, specific to each individual. I come back to this a lot as well, that, um, you know, everybody is unique and each parent child couple is unique. And so therefore how you might, what that might look like will be different for lots of people. Um, you know, I had one child who didn't particularly want physical connection when she was feeling, um, you know, uh, out of her comfort, you know, out of her tolerance, uh, zone um you know she was becoming what you might call deregulated and um so it would just be important to be near i might just sit near um my my youngest child was very happy to be scooped up and held closely Mm -hmm. and um you know perhaps just you know physically brought back into you know regulated with me Mm. um you know, lots of things that I did early on, I realised were very instinctive. And, and now, as I'm older and I have become a practitioner, um, I have discovered the science behind what, I, what it was that I was doing. Yeah. 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 So has it confirmed it, basically? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. it has. It's, it, it, and, and that only goes to show me that the more the more physically we feel into our motherhood and parenting, 
um, the more right that's going to be because we have what we need. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're all, yeah. I love how um, I learned the meaning of intuition the other day or just a different view on it. And, um, you know, everyone tells you to um, go with your intuition as a mother and as a new mother and that you'll know what to do. Mm. But actually intuition is like a, a bank of knowledge that you need to trial and error and try new things and, and see what works, what doesn't, what feels right and what doesn't. And then your intuition is built. And I just love that because actually it's not just doesn't come from, from thin air and no. you either have to, you know, see other people doing doing mothering you know yes yes um, or build on the experiences yourself as yes well. yes yes absolutely yeah i think it is it is a kind of two twofold experience isn't it it's based on um based on some of our conditioning as well yeah. you know so yeah, there's definitely. there's a bit of sifting sifting around to do but i think there is also you know underlying for all of us some sense of um mammalian instinct yeah, yeah. you know and that oh, is sure. that is you know you know that that that's the first thought isn't it or that's the first arrow um and then we're, it's overlaid with all kinds of kinds of other stuff it, it's very very uh, complicated or yeah for or, sure yeah yeah um, I just want to shift into Emmy, Emmy Pickler's work and yes. I just wonder um, if you could just sum up what the approach, Emmy Pickler approach is and when you found out about her and how that yes. shifted your work sort of. And, yes. And did it yes. marry with the Rudolf Steiner sort yes. of approach or, yeah, yes. just talk yeah, a little bit yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose I started hearing little bits and pieces about Emmy Pickler um, six years ago or so. I... Um, came into contact with a woman called Dorothy Marlin, who is, who, who literally wrote the book on parent and child groups in Steiner schools. It's called the parent and child handbook. That, that is her actual book. And so she was the kind of doyen of that work. And, um, she, just as Magda Gerber took, uh, the Pickler approach to America, you know, Dorothy Marlin is really pioneering her work in the UK um, so she was running a few weekend workshops and things like that where she was introducing these ideas. And so it, it, it was very slow, protracted sort of saturation of these ideas, maybe over 18 months or so. And, so, and I did find it a bit spiky and a bit um, in conflict. And it, it really took a lot of my kind of thinking about it. Um, you know, which is often the way when you're just coming across something theoretically, or certainly for me. Um, and then I went into a full intensive course, which married the two approaches. By, by that time, I'd been working as a parent and child leader within a Steiner school for, for quite some time. And I'd been within the early years for even longer as an assistant and things. So, um, I, yeah, I, I, I very much came to that course with the question you know, how do these, how do these two approaches meet and um, how do they complement each other? Um, and so I, I guess as Dorothy would explain it, you know, Rudolf Steiner says the, says the what and Emmy Pickler says the how, you know, she's mm. very, very practical, um, very uh, science-based, interestingly, you know, for, for, you know, 
to complement a system like the Steiner system, which is which is very esoteric. It's you know there's a spiritual um, aspect to it very much, and um, you know Emmy Pickler isn't isn't that, um, which would I suppose why why it was um, that statement would make sense of doing of her being her approach being the how. Um, uh, did you want me to talk a little bit about Emmy Pickler herself? Yeah, or, and, and yeah. just like the approach and how she came to that. Yeah, she came to her approach um, through practice. She was a paediatrician and um, she was, uh, I would say that her approach is um, fundamentally observational. So she has used her powers of observation of small children, infants and small children, to formulate um, her approach. Uh, that, that also very much meets Rudolf Steiner. The um, practice of observation is very, very strong within the Steiner um, uh, practice of the teachers. Um, but I suppose in the way that I've been working with Pickler and with parents like yourself, you know, I will extend that, um, you know, hand of observation straight away, I would invite you, encourage you to be observing your children straight away. So this is what she was doing. And she, um, she was uh, practicing in um, Hungary. And I think she went down to Italy, she was pregnant. She went down to Italy, uh, and was sitting on the beach observing everybody. So of course, you've got hardly any clothes on, you can really, really observe human bodies. And um, she just noticed how parents with little babies and small children were um, interfering a lot with their uh, motor skills, motor development. They, they were sitting them up, they were um, walking them. Um, and what she realized was sort of prematurely really. So she um, spoke to her husband about it and um, they decided that they, with this new baby that they were having, Anna, um, that they would allow her, they would trust, they would observe, they would see um, how, she, how she developed in those first couple of years, really, mm. physically. And um, she came beautifully to standing all by herself. Um, they, they did nothing to kind of affect that. And she she was really she was really taken with that to the point that she brought it into her pediatric practice um and then moving on a few years once the uh world war ii had finished and you know sadly there were there were many orphans left from that conflict um and she was put in charge of an orphanage um she instructed all of her nurses within the same approach to take a very, uh, to take a step back, very hands off in one respect, but also the other side of it, of her um, approach and practice is respectful care. Mm. So, so there was a great deal of um, connection made with the babies and the small children, 100% um, undivided attention yeah. when they were giving attention, when they weren't because those nurses had five other children to be caring for then the child was left to their own, um, you know, motor play and motor mm -hmm. exploration. Um, mm -hmm. And this, this produced 
um, incredibly resilient, physically able um, young people, you know, older children. Um, so, so her practice became renowned um, for that. And it, you know, she, I think, you know, she'd already come to that orphanage situation in a very um, esteemed way because her pediatric practice was, was very well thought of. Mm. So yeah, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a, a two-pronged approach really. There's a kind of standing mm. back, uh, but there's also a really that there's a big meeting yeah, of with connection. Um, with connection. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that that was really helpful for me. I mean, I remember you sort of saying that story and introducing it to all of us mothers at the beginning um, when we came to you, and and um, there was a lot of mums sort of holding them their babies on their laps, and um, I think I was one of them. I can't remember because I, I remember holding Juniper in my lap. Juniper was so tiny; she was a month. She was tiny. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, was your she was only a she month. Was, she was a month. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that was when I came to your talk, but I can't remember. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then I remember just uh, just feeling very supported with the whole thing of just allowing them to be and lie down and allow them to roll over when they when they are ready and I remember you saying you know you could put a colorful handkerchief or maybe a little ball on the side so they can reach out when they're ready and they can mm. it can sort of motivate them to roll over but actually mm. um by them doing it themselves it gives them that inner I did this myself you know and that kind of feeling of you know a little bit like they say that the baby can crawl up to the breast when when you first mm-hmm. give birth and you know mm-hmm. it has that time to to slowly you know do it mm-hmm. themselves in a way mm-hmm. and you're cheerleading them on but you're not doing it for them mm-hmm. and I think that's such an amazing sort of way of parenting because mm-hmm. we are enabling our children a lot I feel and I'm definitely one of those people I I find myself doing things for Juniper all the time and I think actually let me just give her time to figure it out because she mm-hmm. can figure it out and by me jumping in there it doesn't allow her the time to figure things out. Like taking, mm. like this morning, the, the metal straw was stuck in the metal holder and she was pulling it and she was like making all sorts of noises. And I was like, mm. you know, and in me, I was like, oh, I better just do this because I don't want her to tantrum. You know, I don't have much time. And mm. I was like, just breathe. She can figure it out. And she's still mm-hmm. making those noises. I was like, okay, I'm just going to come to you slowly, calmly. Mm. Should we see what's going on here? Oh, it's just stuck here. And I just, it's me. Mm. Um, present and aware rather than just quickly rushing around which mm. I do all the time mm. but um, it's it's given me that um, practice of presence I guess in my parents mm. which has mm. been such a good sort of foundation mm. block so mm. thank you for that <laughs> very welcome so someone recently described it to me as um, it would be a bit like going to the gym and having your instructor lift all the weights for you yes Yes, <laughs> rather than yeah. being on the side. Yeah, yeah. But How but like you, anything. Yeah. Sorry, but like anything, this is um, this is a practice. You know, I, I've come to enjoy and appreciate the word practice. You know, yeah. as each year passes, you know, whether it's yoga, meditation, or parenting practice, you know, we're we're in it for the for the long, the long haul. This is a long game, and um, and all we can do is have a willingness to show up yeah yeah totally yeah. yeah i love that thinking of the long long game and the bigger picture because yeah. yeah those little things in the moment when you're just snappy is totally the short game or not even snappy actually enabling yeah. and just very silent and just sort of a blind eye i always do that with my, my blind eye sometimes <laughs> but actually that's the short game because that's not sort of 
thinking about how that's going to affect me in the long run. But I just wonder how, um, because it does go against the grain and it's um, any particular approach, um, Mm. especially like the tummy time, because so many parents, I mean, a lot of alternative people here are doing tummy time and things like Mm. that. And um, it's just what your midwife tells you to do. And most Mm. mothers do it. So you follow because Mm. we model other Mm. people. How do you gently, respectfully, non-judgmentally introduce these <laughs> when, when mothers are already doing it? So they've already got their children sitting by themselves. They're already yeah, their yeah, yeah. Well, I I think um, with all of those things, I think I think there is no judgment here, mm. and you know, as 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 much as that is, you know, that is um that is a kind of work in practice, isn't it? To, to really meet people where they are, um, to be respectful um, of their experience, um, to be respectful of anybody's experience, but particularly people who are so vulnerable and so, you know, fresh with hormones and, um, yeah, just that, just that very, I thought when I, when I first started working with parents, it was really interesting what my kind of preconception was, um, that I would have quite kind of bolshy people saying, well, why should I do that? That, that, that mm. was what I thought I was going to be kind of, you know, building my resilience up for. It couldn't have been more different. Mm. I haven't met many more um, vulnerable, open um anxious people um Mm. you know so so with that in mind i go really gently and um you know just as i would with a child i don't instruct children um i model to them Mm. and so um you know i use Oh, she's showing a little baby. Little rag doll. Dino baby. <laughs> I, use, I use, you know, the dolls when we're doing, uh, you know, a singing, singing circle or whatever mm. it might be. You know, I will, I will model that behaviour. Um, I, I often address things to a whole group of people um, rather than, than one specific person. Um, I trust that people have come to a, to a situation um, for their own learning and that they are open to that learning. And, um, you know, I think coming, coming gently, giving information, um, if, if I felt that someone was particularly, um, hardened to what it was, they, they kind of enjoyed the the tea or something in my groups, I don't know. Um, and that they, they were, they were sort of over a longer period of time, not, not really, um showing any curiosity or or any uh a development in their approach then um you know i'll feel it out and i might i might make an observation i might say i've noticed that mm. this happens have you done that before i have done that yes and I how have done that. your sort of feedback have you ever had parents that have been feeling a bit not good enough maybe no <clears throat> well it's interesting because i think those observations have come um, at a time by which we have a relationship. Mm, of course, yeah. Um, so, so I, yeah, I think I just trust, you know, I work in a very, um, 
two-pronged way, if you like. You know, I, I'm passionate about good care for children, good respectful care. Um, and, you know, I feel, I feel very strongly about that. I feel um, moved to um, support their parents in giving them a better experience a less overloaded experience, a yeah. slower, more simple experience so that they can just be. That, mm. that, so there's that. But the other side of it is, is that I am um, concerned in, in supporting the parents themselves in their experience. Mm. So, it's, so it's kind of balancing the needs of, of um, those two groups, really. So yes. I, I would never go in hard. No, no, <laughs> no. I can't imagine you going no. hard. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, could you yeah. give an example of um, respectful care? I mean, nappy changing is a really good one, I think, if you're up for doing that, because that really helped me with my nappy changing yeah, journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I think, I think before even any kind of intimate care, I think um, it's important. I think I wrote it here. Um, you know, you need only stop and really observe the child to see that here is a sensitive and responsive human being worthy of mindful and loving consideration. Mm -hmm. So if you place yourself in the position of the child, say, and you're sitting on the floor and someone comes up behind you and just picks you up, it's little things like that which we, which make it very counterculture because in our culture we see children as baggage um they're not they're not they're not little human beings who mm. have you know um so so always if possible approach a child from the front so that they can mm. see you before you yeah. e even touch them um you know keep your keep your hand gestures you know open mm. um are you ready I I ask them even very very small children um you know, we need to change your nappy now. Are you ready? Mm. You know, even, and a newborn. even a newborn, yeah. even a newborn. I've seen incredible footage of these nurses in the, you know, 1950s in the Pickler Institute um, who, who really developed this relationship, this connection with these very small mm. babies. And I think, I think we've somehow got it into our heads that before a certain age, they're not, they're not kind of sentient beings and that suddenly they come into cognition and it, it ignores the holistic, you know, the whole human being. Mm -hmm. So I think even early on when, you know, lots of those reflexes are still being exhibited and they're, you know, they're doing that beautiful little gurning face, you know, expressions that they do and they're, they're, they're picking up, they're learning all the time, they're listening. You can you can bring those, um, you can bring that practice very early on, even though they're still very reflective, reflexive human beings. Um, you know, use the reflexes to your advantage. So if you're, if you're going to take the arm out of a cardigan, hold the cardigan mm. and hold the, hold the little cuff of the cardigan and wait for the, wait for the arm to come out, mm. you know, and, and, and you can talk to your baby about what's, what's happening as it's happening. Um, I always recommend because it was it was taught to me that um, this was years after I had my own babies, by the way. So <laughs> practicing with my own grandchildren and my yeah. own, you know, <laughs> parents that I work with. Um, that um, try and do things. Slow down for a start. 
slow down just to just to kind of ease into that connection and calmness just for yourself you're you're the big adult here mm. so you can you can do this for this little person um and and try and do the, the same the process in the same way all the time mm. so if you decide i'm going to take you know do the right arm and then the left arm and then the right leg and then the left leg Mm, set settle on that make it predictable and that's that's again where it meets rudolf steiner you know mm. things in a in the rudolf steiner early years are are um created to um meet the bodily needs of the child you know that mm. need for predictability yeah. um and, and re repetition absolutely mm. absolutely yeah yeah so try and do that and as the child grows they they grow into that rhythm they grow into that predictability and um, showing respect builds confidence in the child. Yeah. They, 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 they're allowed to practice again and again and again and again. Mm. You know, at the moment yeah. it's very interesting in the kind of, um, you know, this, this period of isolation that we're all in, I'm checking in with my daughter and her daughter and um, my granddaughter is changing her clothes about, 15 times a day <laughs> i have that as well juniper's doing just thinking, this is great this is great because actually the parent is um you know that the, the the need has been removed from the parent to get that child dressed and out mm. so they're allowing their children to do this more because it's it's an activity it's something nice mm. to do there's no pressing need for them to be doing it so they can leave them alone doing it, which is exactly what you would want ordinarily. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, and what came to me when you were talking about the respectful care and um, talking to a newborn and a child, um, even before you think that they're not understanding and all that kind of thing kind of makes me think also of um, connecting so I found it I found that it took me a long time to really connect to Juniper and I, I was surprised how long it took me to connect and I think that's not talked about enough and I think um I felt a bit silly talking to her when she was a newborn in hospital mm. there was something in me that wanted to talk to her but I felt mm. silly mm. and now if I had another baby I would be talking to her or him a lot and I, I feel so comfortable talking mm. I've had three years of practice just keep talking 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 without a response you know and it yes. takes I felt like it took practice but yeah. I feel like um if that was encouraged that kind of care and talking to your newborn right from hour one yeah. um that would actually help with connecting to the baby as well yeah. and seeing them as a proper little human being yeah. you yeah. know and I think yeah. that's really helpful yeah yeah, I think it, I think there is a period of transition, isn't there, where you're yeah. you're going from, you know, depending on your circumstance, your life circumstance, you're going from just talking to um, verbal people, you know, <laughs> adults or teenagers yeah. or whatever, um, to to being present a lot mm -hmm. with this pre-verbal being, um, uh, and that that in itself requires um just going gently with yourself and easing yourself into it and like you say now there's 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 a kind of body memory for this yeah sure another child comes along or a child comes into your orbit and you'll know how to do that mm. but i do think that is really assisted or hindered by what's happening culturally around you 
In what way? Um, well, I think I, if I were to liken that to the breastfeeding experience that I had, um, when, you know, at 22, um, just, just coming to nourishing my own child, I hadn't seen a single person breastfeed. Mm. So, yeah, how do you I, learn if you haven't seen? Yeah, so I think my, I, I, I don't know where the will came from. I, my mother is a very kind of um, body centered, earthy woman, and I think that that um, uh, conviction came from that just that experience of somehow, well, of course, I'll, I'll do this, but in order to do it, um, you know, happily for myself, um, I needed to surround myself, which is why I got involved with the La Leche League. Mm. So I was seeing it all the time. And I think that if we were, if our culture was one where, you know, those little people, I mean, you see, you see, you see grandparents doing it, yeah. you know, you see kind of older men doing it, don't you, mm. with babies and they have yeah. a good old chat with them. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> which is lovely. And, and, you know, thank goodness for that because those little babies are, are absorbing all of that lovely energy and um but if we had that around us yeah i think it's to do with that respect as well mm. yeah that they that, were, yeah that um reminds me of a story i heard about a gorilla that was in cage in a zoo and have you heard the story about no. breastfeeding and she um was born there but she hadn't seen anyone breastfeeding and i don't think she breastfed herself i'm not sure she had a baby and she didn't know how to breastfeed the baby and it died. And then the second time around that that happened, they got a load of breastfeeding humans um, breastfeeding their babies all around her. And she watched and watched and watched and learned how to breastfeed that little baby. It's incredible. Me. I mean, that's just an example of that we yeah. do need our village. We do need our people yeah. to be helping new mothers that haven't seen it enough you know absolutely you can't remember your mother doing that to you so no. yeah and we have a rich unconscious life you know yeah we, it, it is almost like that tip our, our our um cognitive understanding our conscious understanding of what we are doing is like the tip of the iceberg down below mm. there's a whole unconscious world going on and all of those images are, are going in there and being stored there somewhere you know to be plucked out when needed yeah. when required or not yeah depending on what it, what it is <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah yeah and so if if anyone listening to this really wants to sort of get started with this approach and yeah. where could they learn more in person and online have you got any sort of resources well the, the Pickler, yeah the pickler association have a, have mm. a fantastic website um, and there's often events going on, workshops going on. There's a big um, shop of books. The the book I would, I would, I really recommend it. But I understand that it's quite difficult to get hold of. It's from New Zealand, and it's a mm. a pickler pedagogue called Penny Brownlee. Mm. Um, Penny Brownlee wrote a book called Dance with Me in the Heart. Um, and for me, that's, that just absolutely embraces the whole approach in a very simple format. She has a, a great website called Dance With Me In The Heart. Mm. Um, and there are, um, uh, you know, permission given for downloadable um, PDFs 
handouts okay. and things like that. So, so those are two online resources that I would definitely look for the Pickler Association and um, Dance With Me in the Heart. Um, and the live experience really um, is difficult to quantify because it's, it's still relatively new. So even those, you know, it's been in my practice only for about four or five years, really. Mm. Um, so there are still only a handful of people, but you know, um, just like I did with my friend, um, and our three children, I think you can explore these ideas, um, for yourself. There is, there is now much more information online. So, and the, um, Feldenkrais, um, I don't know what the overarching body is or, but they've, um, produced a few absolutely delightful videos on YouTube, um, uh, with, uh, a featuring baby live. He's this adorable baby um, who they, they've really done a fantastic job of observing this baby beautifully um, and slowly and giving a very good um, idea for parents of what they might be looking at when they're observing their baby. Because mm. it, it's, it's one of those practices, observation, where you, you're either looking or you're seeing. You know, mm. if you go out into the woods, you can walk through that woods and you'd be looking around and not see anything. But if you stop by a tree and you just allow your eyes to accustom themselves to what it is that where you are, you'll start seeing that squirrel or that magpie or that, um, you know, fallen tree or whatever. You, it, mm. It's adjusting exactly. your eyes yeah. to know that, you know, that the little curl of the toe is about... Is a, is a precursor to actually coming up, you know, bringing, mm. lifting the knee off the floor and, you know, all those little things. And you don't have to understand it intellectually. It's just a way of, a way of seeing that, mm. you know, you can practice at home. Definitely. Yeah. And what a beautiful meditation practice if you're ever going to take one up. Absolutely. It's looking at your own baby. I mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to say about, the picture approach before I ask the last few questions. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think there's nothing that occurs to me immediately. We've said, we've said quite a lot about it's it. Or, I would say, you know, I, my youngest child is 18 and um, I'm, I, I'm still using that with him. Mm, so in what way um, uh, for an older child are you using Yeah. That? Just, just with, um, I, I think lots of things I was doing earlier on with him were instinctive again. That's that really stepping back and allowing him to physically um, develop and take risks. And, you know, he was, he was forever climbing trees and, mm. um, and big uh, pieces of play equipment, you know, but, but there's also something about um, the objective um, observation of him that I, I'm, I'm, my practice is coming to parenting him without an agenda mm. we you know um today is today this is what's happening right now so i mean it, it does marry in also with the mindfulness of, of that i bring to my practice into my life yeah you know that, that that we are approaching things from an objective point of view as, as far as possible you know we're yeah, human yeah. beings so yeah, yeah. 
Oh, so nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm inspired that you, you told me your son has a shit and he um, tinkers around with his bike instead of goes on his phone all the time. <laughs> sure, he does. Well, that's developed now because he's gone from... Um, gone from the bikes and the go-karts to he there is a car actually in the because he now the day he learned to drive at 17 <laughs> his life the bike's became out became whole so he so he's an apprentice mechanic now. oh wow oh, yeah cool. so that's what he's doing as a, wow. as a job so that's stroke just training. That, that what you've like encouraged and you yeah. know in him has become yeah. his job now yes it? yes or what he presented i guess that was the thing as yeah. well he was really presenting that and you know rudolf steiner the the uh, practitioners there talk about you know we're there to to help the child unwrap the gifts that they bring you know? mm, yeah totally. yeah yeah amazing so I'm going to just ask a couple more questions that I'm going to ask other guests as well Go for um, it. what three books would you recommend um, a mother to read okay well I've I've already said dance me in the heart so perhaps I yes. can get away with that one <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can. two more <laughs> um uh because it's interesting i i read an awful lot of books as a young mother um i've read less as time has gone on um and i'm aware that there have been a lot more published since Mm. since my children's early years um but one that really stands out for me when i you said that you were going to ask this question and this isn't um this book suddenly sprung into my mind i haven't really thought about it very much since but it really set me on the path of understanding um, my children as emotional beings or uh, respecting and appreciating that they have a Mm. self-esteem and it's a book called your child's self-esteem it's by a woman called dorothy corkill briggs i haven't read it for 25 years so i'm recommending it sort of cold i i I hate to think that if I read it now, I go, oh, my God, I, I recommend that. But, but at that particular time, you know, I'd read a book called The Continuum Concept. Um, I'd read various books around the um, Steiner early years and the kindergartens. But this book was a kind of standalone. Mm. It dealt with labelling our children and the you know, dangers of that. And, um, yeah, just, just brought a very warm-hearted feeling to parenting and nurturing young children oh nice so, so that's that's another one. I should get that in my library actually totally. um the the other one because I because I value um working on our slowness our pace of life you know we all have our different tempos don't we and for some of us that's easier than for others but I would invite in fact I do on the on the room on the door of my um, room you might remember I have yes. a sign that says please yes. slow down when you enter here thank you yeah. um, you know that this is crucial for for our little human beings to be able to process and then do before the buzz is gone you know mm. that there's this kind of open feeling of flow and also that there's simplicity simplicity of environment simplicity of thought simplicity mm. of speech um, and and with that in mind, I would recommend Simplicity Parenting. Oh, yeah, I love that By, one. Uh, I, you recommend got that. Yeah, yeah. I did. yeah. Kim John Payne and, and Lisa Ross wrote mm-hmm. that. And he's a former Steiner teacher, but, you know, has gone on um, to, you know, become a lecturer and, and an author. And he um, has, a, has a wonderful movement, the Simplicity Parenting movement. Mm-hmm. So you can... Um, sign up subscribe to his newsletter that comes mm. in email form 
and within that are lots of podcasts and lots of different wonderful things and and people work through the book as a um you know in 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 a club kind of way you know they kind of mm. approach each chapter how are we getting on with that and so that's that's a wonderfully broad text that's gonna that covers um you know every aspect of our child's environment not just the physical environment so yeah so that's really good and and one last one which i'd say i've um i've only just picked up but i've been meaning to read it for a long time um, I'm a massive fan of Grayson Perry and then coming a- across his, uh, his wife, Philippa Perry, who's a psychotherapist. Okay. She wrote, I, I, I mean, still in chapter one, but I just know it's, it's going to mm. be a good one because it's going to um, be talking about and holding in mind this thing that I think is so important for parents, which is exploring your, your own relationship with your parents. Oh, exploring yeah. your relationship of being parented exploring mm. your relationship with your mother um it, it's called the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did and that's <laughs> philip philippa perry and i said i, I like think I, I think also i like the idea I, I don't really believe well i don't believe in dogmatic approaches um i i i, I prefer that when we're approaching parenting and children that we're we're assuming that the children are just fine as they are. Thank you very mm. much. They are just where they need to be. And that actually the work that we can do, you know, if we're desperate to put work into something, let's do that to ourselves. Mm. You know, let's, let's heal ourselves. Let's, you know, we're all in receipt of um, some kind of, uh, you know, trauma or mistake or, or, or whatever it is to a greater or lesser extent. And we're all flawed human beings and, um, you know, I know you've talked a lot about on your um, Instagram feed about authenticity. Um, mm. And that, that's, that's very important to me that we can be authentic and we can be vulnerable. Our children don't want us to be perfect, mm. but they, they want to see us striving and um, yeah. yeah, developing ourselves. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So much. And I think our yeah. kids are like, a, I guess, an opportunity for us to up- upgrade ourselves because we're constantly being mirrored back. Mm. with our triggers we you know we're triggered and if we can actually see it as an opportunity rather than a trigger yeah and we can really shift things you yeah. know sh- yeah. shift our subconscious mind and, and reprogram yeah. things and yeah. um, i'm such a believer in that and i daily reprogram my mind so absolutely uh, i couldn't I agree that. more i love yeah. that yeah. um what would you say to your newborn mother self with all the experiences you have now um well I, I would preface that by saying that I value development, that I value where I was then to where I am now as being different experiences. Um, having said that, I would, I would just revisit the, the point I made a minute ago about looking more at my relationship with my mother as being helpful. Um, you know, gently inviting myself to do that because at 22, this you're not quite, you're not quite in that place. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I suppose I would say to, to the new parents that I meet all the time, I would say the same thing to me that I say to them, which is um, that we, we are all unique and everything that I need to nourish and care for my child is contained within me. Mm. So, so all I need to do is access that help and that support and that sleep and that good food and 
um, do things that I like doing, writing, making music, um, knowing that I, I can quieten that voice that says I'm perhaps not enough. Mm. Oh, I've got tingles down my spine. Mm. That's so mm. beautiful. Mm. And then what popped up for me was that prayer that you gave us. It was like a little mm. text. And I had that mm. on my diary for the first mm. few years. And I would read it all the time. I can't remember the words. I don't know. Oh, I wish I could. Yes, yeah. in my, yes, I might have to just send that on to you. And then you yeah, can well, post publish it, it somewhere. Post but it is about the, the body, heart and soul, as I remember. Yeah. And just yeah. showing up. Um, yeah. from that place yeah, yeah. yeah. well Jack it was amazing oh, talking to you so we Jack got has, there <laughs> yes we did in the end the first two questions were a little bit um, up and down with the wifi but you see how um, they go Jack has um, a wonderful little cabin in um, Sussex mm. um, family cabin mm -hmm. and obviously it's not open now but it will be again is that right yeah. it will uh, absolutely at the moment we're, we're sort of limping along with um you know to a to, to greater or lesser success with Zoom calls. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's fine. And I'm delivering, I'm recording little videos of things that people can look at at their leisure. But it, yeah, it, it is primarily a physical experience. So I'm hoping yeah. <gasps> sometime yeah, so really in the summer, may, yeah. Yeah, Thank you. if you're Sussex-based, definitely check out Jack. Where can they find you on Instagram and, and online? Where's your sort of virtual space? Just with the, the, the family cabin. Yeah. And have you got yeah. a website or is it mainly? I don't actually. No, oh, okay. it's just, so, yeah. In, yeah. Okay. Just Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you so All right. much. It's really yeah. great to see you. It's so lovely speaking yeah, to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Give Juniper a big cuddle from me. I will, I will. Yeah, She'll love, yeah. to, see She'll love yeah. to see your face when I show her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Lots of love, baby. Bye. 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 Well, thank you for listening to that really, really beautiful chat with Jack. Um, she really, truly did help me at the beginning of my mothering journey. And if you can get to her in person, that is the best. And I know that that's very, very few of you. But um, her family cabin in the woods is really beautiful in the Sussex Hills. Um, you can find her on the underscore family underscore cabin on Instagram. And she has lots of beautiful um, songs there. I really appreciate all of you listening and um, any ratings and reviews and subscriptions to my podcast. It will just make it easier to find um, for others. So um, I really appreciate you so much again. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.